This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Al Noe with special guest, pro touring pioneer, Mark Stilo. Here we go. Today we are joined by a very special guest. Mark, I'm so glad that you could join us today. You've been kind enough to give us some of your time and talk about first-gen Camaros today, which we're looking forward to. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's going to be fun. So you were, Mark was a native of Missouri, graduated from Missouri University uh, of Science and Technology, and joined GM as a test engineer in 1991. Began a long and winding career that saw Mark leave the automotive giant in 94 before returning in 99 and then resuming with your current role at GM, which keeps you quite busy, I understand. Yeah, so I've had a great career at GM doing a wide variety of things. Let's talk about your job today at GM. What specific responsibilities do you have? Because I know every day is an adventure, right? Yeah, so right now, um, uh, two two and a half years ago, I came back to motorsports. So I was in motorsports earlier in my career, but I came back and we're trying to pull motorsports more in-house at General Motors. So we've set up a team that supports IndyCar racing, sports car racing through IMSA, WAC, and uh, some of the other sanctioning bodies, but we have the Corvette race program, the Cadillac LMDH program, which we're going to take back to Lamar this year. We have our off-road race program, and then we have an electric race program with the Hummer EV. So you're a little bit busy these days, yeah. right? <laughs> so are you ever home on the weekends to go out and do some of this pro touring fun stuff? You start ramping into the season and between all the different series, you know, you could be Pretty much any, you can be at a racetrack every weekend if you wanted to be. So, hey, let's talk about uh, some of the fun that you've had with cars over the years, Mark. So there's your day job. Yep. And then I've always said you've got really two jobs because you <laughs> the number of cars you build blows me away. Like it is unbelievable how busy you always are. What's your current project? What are you working on? So I, I stumbled into a Patina 69 Camaro that was a uh, originally ordered as a 396 big block car, but then kind of sat in the desert and got a nice Patina on it. So I'm going to go back through that car and freshen it up to be a nice, you know, it's everybody throws different terms around. I, it's going to be kind of a pro touring car, but, or a resto mod kind of, however that kind of shakes out. Very cool. Still patina though. You're yeah. I'm going to leave the patina on it because it was like an old drag car. And the, it was kind of the cool thing about that car was it was ordered new by a guy by the name of Vic Hobbs as a 396 SS car with a 410 gear radio delete. And he just drag raced it through the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. And then it sat kind of neglected in the desert in California. And it's just got like a really kind of weathered, but low mile, rust free, heavily pounded on car. <laughs> That's cool. Cool piece. So speaking of that, you mentioned to me that that car, the floor pan, had some issues from the years of drag racing and abuse. Yeah, well, What'd you find when you started to take the car apart? Well, I bought the car and it was really rust free, but we pulled the carpets out and actually the drive shafts had blown up so hard over the years, like the, the tunnel was dog-legged and, <laughs> and it blew up so hard that the, the seat pans on a 69 Camaro were actually bent. So, and then there's other holes in the bottom of the car. So even though it's a rust free floor pan, we decided to cut it out and put a straight one back in it. Man, you think about the number of times, it, it makes you wonder if that car was ever pulled vaulted or what yeah, drive shafts breaking and stuff. By the way, folks, we sell a lot of safety gear at some point. <laughs> so if you need a drive shaft loop or a good helmet, driving gloves, whatever, aside from keeping your car safe, we got to keep you safe too. And sometimes with little drag cars, I always said if cars could talk, it would be awesome to hear all the stories they could tell us. Well, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in high school, you'd go to the drag strip and the stuff that you saw on a day-to-day basis on the week-to-week basis on testing two nights would scare you to death. Like oh, yeah. People blowing stuff off. So, how, how did you get started in 
the automotive industry. I think all of us can think back and remember like the first fast car you rode in, car show you went to, something that made you say, this is pretty awesome and I want to figure out how to do this. What was that? What was that for you? Well, for me, I, I mean, I really wanted to work in the, I mean, I read like a lot of kids, I read Hot Rod Magazine, Motor Trend, r Car and Driver, and I really was enamored by cars and I wanted to work in the automotive industry. And uh, actually my high school guidance counselor said I could never get there. So um, <laughs> good job, counselor. Attaboy. <laughs> so I started off at Missouri State University and I was doing okay. So and I just decided to call Ford, Chrysler, and GM HR and say, where do you get your engineers from? Hmm. And they all said, Missouri School of Science and Technology, if you live in Missouri. So I transferred there. 30 days later, I had a summer internship at GM working on the Camaro Firebird showroom stock race program. Wow. So in 1988, my first wow. job at GM was supporting the FCAR, all the FCAR showroom stock racing stuff. So, and that the fun fact, at the end of that summer, my summer job was I personally hand produced the first, there was eight 1LE packages. Oh, I was going to ask you that, if that was when you were there. Yeah. So you, the first eight, you had your hands in that. Yeah, right? I hand carried That's the prop valves and some other parts out the, out the Van Nuys, California. And when the cars came down the line, we assembled them and they got sold to customers. Cool. Did you ever try to find one of those cars and say, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, I think they all, because they were just the, the they, people who ordered them didn't realize they were ordering that package because they ordered all the performance stuff minus air conditioning and it triggered the one LE package and they got, they got the, the bits and pieces. So what, what did you do within GM after that? So that was your first piece as an intern. Yeah. Then where did it go from there? When I hired in full-time at GM, I was under hood thermal for cop cars, which was awesome. I was only there for about nine months and then I went into motorsports. So I was back with my experience with Sherwin Stock Racing. In 1991, Herb Fischel formed a motorsports technology group where he pulled Buick, Oldsmobile, Chevy, all the brands used to race against each other. And we brought them all into one thing, motorsports technology group. And I was in that area supporting uh, all the Sherwin Stock Racing activities. So the Corvettes, the Camaros, the Firebirds. Were you at GM when the Camaro took a hiatus for a little bit? And yeah, so, too? yeah, I was at GM when the, the they paused the Gen 4 car mm -hmm. and went out of production. So that was a sad day. But were you there when they brought it back? Yep. So yeah. Al Oppenheiser, uh, actually, my 69 Camaro, the Mule, was in GM design staff when they were working on the Gen 5 car as an inspiration car. Oh, cool. And so like when the Gen 5 car launched, Al Oppenheiser was a chief engineer and I was at um, the Detroit Auto Show when they brought the show car out. So you kind of, everybody saw kind of the 69 Camaro cues in that car. Yeah. And, but my actual, that silver 69 Camaro I had was actually sitting in GM design staff when that, some of the work was being done. So over the years, Mark, you've built a lot of first gen Camaros. And yeah. actually that's really how you and I met. Cause I had a first gen, I think back then you had the Red Witch. Yep. You and I met somewhere, it might have been Power Tour, and then you did the big, big block in it. Yep. And then you and I spent some time on the dyno trying to trying to figure, figure that out. out. Actually, funny story. Mark called and said, hey, I'm going to chassis dyno this car. Do you want to come over? And at the time, I was a product manager for Excel and DFI. And I went over and met you and, you know, the guy running the dyno and his, his dad, kind of crusty, you know, older gentleman. Yeah. Um, they're running the dyno. And we're trying to make power pulls on it at like 5,000, 5,500. The thing kept breaking up. And you and I were throwing parts at it, like, because, of course, the dyno operator and the tuner, it's never a problem yeah. with anything aside from some of the electronics, right? Just blame the electronics. You and I were putting plug wires, plugs, cap, rotor, coil. I mean, we threw, I don't know how yeah. many, like a truckload of yeah. parts at it that day. 
And I'm pulling my hair out because I'm going, I can't believe if it's the fuel injection, how embarrassing. Because yeah. you ran our stuff for years. We're trying to figure it out. And then three days later, you gave me a call. Yeah, the outer springs, had, one of the outer springs had broken on that. Time. Yeah, so we're trying to fix a miss that was a high RPM miss, can't figure it out, and it ends up being a mechanical problem. So, you know, by the way, we sell valve springs at Summit too. So if you need valve springs, like, you but know. But that block in that thing, that was an all aluminum uh, 630, I think it was a 630, no, 532 big block. I forget how big it was, but it was one of the first uh, trick flow aluminum blocks. Yes. Big blocks. So yep. it was a short deck, uh, 4.600 bore uh, big block. That was a bad dude. I remember even at 5,000, the power that thing made was yeah. really impressive. Yeah. It was crazy. But that was really one of my favorite cars you built. And over the years, the variety of cars you built, Mark, is just awesome. Because, I mean, you've yeah. built SEMA award-winning cars that are, like, honestly, I think um, probably Hellfire was the one that comes to mind. That was the one with the all-carbon front yeah. end with the stripes and laid in the carbon. And you actually, one of the images that we have is a reunion of your cars. And I think it's kind of cool because it reminds me of the scene in Iron Man where they have the <laughs> reunion of all the, uh, the Iron Man uh, guys come together. Well, all Mark's car, not all of them, but a good assortment of yeah car were stirred together. Tell us about that experience. And was it cool seeing like all the all the things you built over the years all gathering in one place? Yeah, the really cool thing about that was, uh, you know, we wanted to do a story with Hot Rod Magazine and we, we were going to do a feature on Hellfire. So we got together some of the previous cars. We did it in uh, Des Moines, Iowa around the Good Guy Show. And I got to drive all the cars kind of back to back. And they all have a little bit different personality, but they're all kind of the same general family. So it was a lot of fun to get them together and, uh, drive you know get a chance to drive them all and just when you jump into them they kind of have a kind of brings you a memory of when you were working on that car thrashing on it trying to get it done did you have one that was a favorite the favorite is red devil and that car was built back in 2010 2009 2010 and it's one of those cars like everything went right i introduced the car and i started racing it that summer and the pro touring shootouts the optimus shootout stuff was starting to become more popular i brought it to holly ls fest it won that I took it some other shootouts and we ended up taking it to SEMA. It got voted into Gran Turismo as one of the cars that's in the game. So for kids at home, if you have Gran Turismo 5, you can go on there and click that car and drive my car, crash my car on the Nürburgring. <laughs> and so then that car went on and went Optima shootout. And it was just like everything came together. Is that the one that was in the Optima battery commercial? Yep. That so, was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, that was a, that car was, you know, just a big thrash, but it all kind of came together and um, it worked. So it was, it was good. Is, and what was the engine in that car? I don't remember. So that, that was a 427, 427 cubic inch LS based, but with a LS9 supercharger on it. So it made a little over 850, 875 horsepower in that trim, but a ton of torque. Then for the, the Optimus shootout before the different events, the speed stop and the road course autocross and the design portion of it. We, I think we won. We did. Well, we won it overall and won most of the events. I had my own homebrew ABS on it, so it was it was a fun car. You know, that's one thing, Mark. I think you've always you've always had, um, I guess, foresight. Maybe call it visionary of going and taking a car to the next level. So, like analog brakes, when people were talking about doing it, you were the one doing it. Yeah, you were putting analog brakes on old muscle cars, which is awesome. And now today, like if you look at a lot of the high level Optima competitors, it's like the standard now, whether it's the Bosch ABS system yeah. or they adapted something else. What's next, do you think? Mag shocks? Is that going to be a thing? Maybe. I mean, it's like part of my, my part of reason, my reason to put ABS on that car back then was all the development driving I did at GM was when I, with ABS cars. <laughs> and it was like when I jump in my hot rod with passive brakes, it was always like, 
I had to kind of like always remember like this thing does, you know, don't lock up the brakes. It's got passive brakes. So I really did it at that time for a real competitive advantage. Yeah. Now I think you're going to start seeing uh, people being able to, I think the next thing is going to be like plastic IC engine, but maybe E front, E front, E front axle or something oh, like that. Wow. So I think that'll be like the E-Ray, the new Corvette that's got electric front axle, yes. IC in the back. Those things are awesome to drive and very quick and, you know, 1050 in the quarter mile from the factory. You know, that's, yeah. that's pretty solid. So, yeah, that's rolling. You know, it's it's interesting, Mark, when you, you said that about the hybridization of newer vehicles. Where do you see that going within GM? So, like, the E-Ray is a great example where... And I love reading all the online blogs as yeah. much as I can anyway, and different magazines and stuff. And everyone was saying, oh, the E-Ray is going to be all electric. It's the electric Corvette. It's all electric. It's all electric. And then the car got introduced and GM went, no, still got a traditional combustion engine, yeah. which Corvette, typical Corvette buyers love because of the exhaust note yeah. and the experience of driving and all the stuff. But it's got electric in the front. So in my opinion, it's the best of both worlds when you really look at it. Super fast car. Yeah, it's heavier. And I've had people tell me, well, look how much heavier it is, blah, blah, blah. It's still a bullet, though. Yeah. It's still super fast. Do you think that's really the direction where we're going to see performance vehicles going? Yeah, I mean, some of the electric vehicles that are out there now are, are super impressive, the performance numbers. You know, so definitely, you know, our portfolio at GM, you know, we have electrified future. We have a lot of electric vehicles coming, but there's still a big investment in ICE internal. You know, like we like to say, it's not the end of the ICE age yet. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. so, <laughs> so we're still building internal combustion engines for, you know, your people with trucks and performance stuff. I think there's definitely going to be a large ice works for a lot of things, you know, moving things around. But electric for most people, day to day usage, it'll be fine. Yeah. And then right now there's Short a lot of commutes. Yeah, works, so, you know? yeah. And then for like those niche vehicles like the Lucids and some of those other vehicles, even like that little electric car that set the crazy lap time up. Uh, the hill climb at uh, Goodwood Festival of Speed. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, it, I mean, a thing runs eights in a quarter mile. Like it's it's that stuff's crazy fast. Yeah. So uh, so that thing that stuff's coming, but I think there's always going to be um, internal combustion engines around. I got interviewed for one of the magazines, and they were asking me a similar question, and I said, like in today's society, there's no need for horses, but people have equestrian centers. We race them, we do things with them. People still love horses. Oh, There's yeah. always going to be people who love internal combustion engines. So we're still going to drag race them. We're still going to road race them. We're going to collect them. You know, no matter what happens, I think internal combustion engines are going to be around for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. And Mark, it's funny on the electric front because you mentioned something that is very near and dear to myself and, and one of my coworkers, uh, Brian Nutter's heart. We drove our Tesla down to Arkansas and went land speed racing with it and then drove it back. And we did that partly for the story of the adventure, but also to learn about the yeah. market and what do we know and what can you find out. That long road trip and the charging that's required and the stops and everything, it wasn't bad. I'm not saying that, but it's different. Yeah. And you've got to plan your trip, your route, and everything else around that. Once we got down to the event, the car's a bullet. I mean, a thing, you know, a four-door literal family sedan, pretty much stock, with the exception of suspension modifications. We did wheels, tires, and some safety gear. You know, the car will go 1170s and a quarter. It went 136 and a half mile. I mean, it thing's a rocket. So it's like, and I agree with you, it's definitely coming, but it's comforting to know the ICE component is going to be there. And GM just made a huge investment, which we were all celebrating about this because we saw the press release. Yeah. It was like 800 million in the next generation. I call it LS, but it's really LT base engine platform, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to keep, you know, 
we're, we're you know for our SUVs and pickup trucks, we're still going to have a, a large segment of that that will be you know internal combustion engine stuff. Yeah. But on the flip side, like today's cars, I mean, when you and I were growing up, if you had a ten fifty second quarter mile car, that was a hairy beast. Like yeah. you were not driving that thing back and forth to work. But now. At GM, like we got a, f- a few things that run in the tens, and it's just crazy. Like you fire them up, driving back and forth to work, but then you put the pedal down. Like they, it's, it's pretty impressive. Like I, even every now and then, I'm driving. I'm like, holy crap, this stuff is fast. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the new Z06? I got to spend uh, th- four weeks in one a while back, and fantastic car. Yeah. So my one Z06 story. So I was at Le Mans. So part of my job is like we go to Le Mans. We're running the Corvettes at Le Mans. So I snuck away last year from Lamar to go to the Nürburgring, and the guys from work were testing the new Z06s there and the Cadillac CT5 Blackwings. Mm. So I like snuck up there, got to run some laps around the Nürburgring in those cars, and they're, it's like truly phenomenal. The Z06 poise and composure around that extremely technical hard track is like one of the fastest cars. Well, it's the fastest car ever driven around there, but just. The confidence, the weight distribution with the mid-engine background, the aero balance and everything on the car was like lights out fast. Bullet. Huh? Yeah. And, but on the flip side, the CT5 Blackwing was also like bullet fast. And it was very just I've driven every version of V at the ring. And that car is like super refined and it's like really, really nice car also. When you when you do that, Mark, out of curiosity, you turn off all the driver assist stuff. I mean, you're a you've driven a lot of really, really fast stuff. So I'm not I'm not suggesting <laughs> any of our viewers to do that. Because sometimes that stuff's there for a reason to keep you out of trouble. But do you typically get in and turn off all the nannies and off you go? Like for the, the recon laps, I'll leave the nannies on. And, and that particular day, it was misty in a couple corners. So I had it in performance traction management four, I think. Okay. And then it dried. And then um, I, I got to run some dry laps. Full bore. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but now, like everything, all that stuff, early days with performance traction management, it wasn't as refined. And now, like you go to the high levels of performance traction, PTM, and it's it's so good. It, it's it really just kind of gives you a little bit of safety net with stuff. So yeah. the nannies are much more integrated now than they used to be. What was it like driving on the Nurburgring? I mean, that track. You know, I've I've never been there. I have a plan someday. It's bucket list. Yeah. Got to go there. Got to do it. How in the world can you can you remember the track, or is it so big that you're really just trying to think ahead to the very next corner? Oh, I, I can close my eyes and play it in my head. Can you uh, really? Oh yeah, but. So when I so when you get over there, they do they they run you through driver training, and it's um, off memory twelve point seven miles around, thousand uh, foot elevation change, and you go airborne in three spots. It's like a pretty technical place, but <laughs> as you're learning it, your your brain kind of compresses it, and you you kind of it helps you segment it kind of yeah you kind of segment it. It's kind of like I divide it in quarters. It's kind of like this is a racetrack. That's a race. It's like four tracks tied together. What's the favorite track you've ever been on? That place. Yeah. Yeah, just it, because huh? it's just the history and uh, the technical challenge of the thing. And um, it's just a super hallowed ground kind of place to go. So yeah. here in the States, I like VIR. VIR is extremely nice. Coda, if you ever get a chance to drive Circuit of the Americas, that track is fantastic. So where where have you not driven that you've got on your list that you're like, I got to go there. Goodwood, is that a thing where you'd yeah, say? I was learning to drive up the hill at Goodwood Festival of Speed, and uh, I've never I've never done that. So I've known some people who have. If you've never been to it, it's just an event. Super cool, and you know there are a lot of uh, just the ambiance of the whole deal is uh, is worth going to. It's worth it's worth making the trip. How about aside from tracks, what about events? Yeah, I mean the Optimus Shootout stuff was awesome because it, 
all the people that I competed against and with were became good friends of mine. So we would meet each other at different different events and things like like the Motor State Challenge, awesome event, yeah. super well run, super chill, a lot of fun, very family friendly. You know, bring the wife, and you know those were very fun events. And then an Optima out in Vegas, you know the whole build up, the whole, you know you got your car on display at SEMA all week long. Then you run the event. Jimmy Day does a great job putting that that event on. I feel super fortunate that I've done well in, the, in it in the past, and uh, you know that, that, I, that I have great memories around that stuff. But kind of how I started on this whole thing with all these different cars was the first car I built back in '93 was to compete in one lap of America. That was a white Camaro. That was a white Camaro tri-tip. 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 So yeah. a lot of the parts got driven into that car because I wanted to harden it to do one lap of America. Then that I kind of got over that, and then Optima, then these Optima shootouts came along, and that was a whole new level of like let's build cars to go do that. So, so anyway, it's kind of how some of those cars kind of ended up how they are. Hey, let's talk about one lap. So that, that event intrigues me. I've been to pieces of that event, never driven in it. What's it like? I've heard it's Being like a phone booth for a week. <laughs> well, you know, Kyle Tucker and I, Kyle Tucker that used to own Detroit Speed and the founder of Detroit Speed and I were good friends. So I talked him into, into doing it with me in 1993. And we're two punk 20-year-old kids with a 500 horsepower 69 Camaro with a six-speed and cobbled on big brakes and 17-inch tires and wheels. And we show up to run this thing. And Brock Yates comes over and he's looking at the car and seeing Kyle and I, we were both mid-20s. And uh, it, and we were just like fearless, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and this is before the internet. This is before YouTube. So you just read the reviews in the back of Sports Car Magazine, like at Watkins Glen, you know, this is what we recommend how to run the track. So you show up. So you, so you show oh, up. Yeah, at, that was life before YouTube, right? Oh, so you yeah. couldn't even go watch video. No, yeah, you, we show up, so <laughs> Kyle and I, my best friend Tom Baker, show up at Nelson's Ledges. We never, none of us had ever driven it before in our life. So we're standing there, and there's a guy that lost it in some of the S bits, and it was raining. And, and you can see the whole bottom of this Cobra replica. Like oh. he got it up on, on four wheels, and you can see the bottom of the car. So t- wow. Kyle turns to me and goes, You get to drive. <laughs> So I nominate you. <laughs> you. So, so I bolt in the car, and I'm like memorizing. I memorized the, the notes, and you have a, a warm up lap, then three flying laps, and that's it. And they they give you your best lap time, and that's how you get time on to the next track. Then you pile all your junk in the trunk of the car, and you drive. So every track mark, you get one shot at it. That's it. Wow. So I didn't. I did not realize. Oh that, yeah, right? and, and it's wow. It's a 24 hour back in these. You know, I haven't rid, driven it in a while, but. In 1993, four and five, it was 24 hours a day. Like you threw your junk in the trunk, and then the next next track you raced was Watkins Glen. Yeah, and you just drove to Watkins Glen, and you got your stuff out of the trunk. You went and run, and then you threw your junk back in the trunk and drove to Lime Rock, wow. and then you just you know skipped around the country. Mm. It was truly terrifying. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to you want to do it again, or you uh, is that is that uh, past you where you're like, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm so glad I did it because it got me. The I should have done what everybody advised me to do was like go buy a low power car and learn how to drive and yeah. get your SCCA license and move your way up. Instead, I built a 500 horsepower 69 Camaro <laughs> and I just sent it. Yeah. And I learned a lot of car control and luckily God, you know, got you know, God saved my life, but we just didn't know any better. So through that, I got to meet John Heinrichy. And that's how I got into working on ride and hailing and high performance vehicle operations group. So like John's like, I've seen you, you've driven some open track days, you've driven some, I'll give you a shot at this. Wow. And, and, uh, and it was all just self-taught 
Send it. You know, it's funny you mentioned John Heinersee. If you want to learn how to drive a track, go watch some of John's videos. Yeah. That fella, been there, done it, unbelievably high level. That guy can drive anything fast. Yeah. So I got into that group in 2003, I think or so, and I started working on uh, performance cars. We, we formed a group inside GM called the High Performance Vehicle Operations Group. During that era, we tuned all the SSs, the Vs, all the Cadillac Vs, the, the Z, ZL1 Camaro, all that kind of stuff came out of that team. Oh, very cool. And yeah. the Z28 was definitely part of your handy yeah. one, right? Yeah, I was a program manager for the 2014-2015 Gen 5 Z28. Cool history. Yeah. So back then, during that time, that was when Mike Copeland was at GM as well, right? Yeah, Copeland was doing like some of the SEMA show cars, and uh, he was running like the pre-production prototype build area. So. Okay. How does technology transfer? Is that a big integral part of GM when you're looking at racing and you say, we are going to have an effort to take things we learn in racing and put it into production cars? Is that part of the mindset? Yeah. Or is that not so, really? the big, so, so two big things happened. So in motorsports, a lot of the, like in NASCAR specifically and some of the other uh, race series, they really wanted to reduce the amount of testing that the team could do. Mm-hmm. So once you get reduced the amount of track time, what teams could do, driving simulators and the simulation side of the business really grew up a lot. Now, the parallel on the OE side, on the manufacturer side, we're trying to reduce the amount of pre-production vehicles because they're very expensive. So building some extremely low volume experimental vehicles are very expensive. So we're trying to reduce our amount or dependency on hardware and move more virtual. So we're growing the simulation side of the business. So the driving simulators between racing and production are very closely linked to each other. And a lot of the tools that you use to do the virtual engineering on both on both sides are, are similar. So there's a huge technology transfer between the modeling simulation, computational fluid dynamics, all that tire modeling, all that stuff is similar tool change between motorsports and racing. But then like on the Corvette side, we raced the uh, flat plane crank 5.5 liter engine for a couple years in the race program before we ever before we ever put it in production in the Z06. So that engine was actually being raced in a kind of a more race hardened version of it, but we proved out a lot of the technology and what ended up in the streetcar on the race car. Can you talk at all about future generations of Corvette? Like what's the ZR1 going to be? What? And then there's this talk of the Zora. What? You know, yeah, what? Right? I don't know. There's some crazy stuff on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you look at what GM has done historically with C5, C7, there's usually a cadence of cars that historically that we do. You know, I'm not going to confirm or deny any of that. Any but, of that. You cannot speak that. But you past, give me the men in black pen after. Yeah, uh, past yeah. history might be an indication of what, what's going to happen. You know, cool. Past performance is the best indicator of future performance. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. That's cool stuff. Out of all the generation Corvette marks, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're going to do with it. I mean, mm. <laughs> you know, so like if you just Good want point. if you just want like a great track car, the new C8 Z07 is like a fantastic track car, very balanced, like a knife, like the thing is very exact. If you want something to do roll on burnouts and third gear to impress your neighbors, a C7 ZR1 is like, that's it. That's it, man. That baby's <laughs> got, she's, you know, pumping 755 horsepower and with a supercharger on it, it's got torque right now and it'll just hit the tires and, and go. And it's very track capable car. It's awesome. But it's, you know, with the waste distribution, with the engine in the front, like moving the engine mid engine, like change the whole game of the car, like makes it much more. The polar moment of inertia, everything about the car is like the C8s. You, know, you, you got one. You oh, know? Yeah. yeah. Great car. 
the rumor is that Camaro is going away. Is it going to come back or is it gone forever? And is this another one of those where you're like, eh, I can't talk a lot can't about, about that. that. You know, you know, the, the gen six Camaro, the ZL one, one LE. I mean, I remember the first time I bolted in one, you know, I have this weird thing. Like I get to show up and I just to get to straight, kick them straight out on the racetrack. So I, I bolted into one that took it off. And like, like you'd never driven the car before. I never driven the car get, before. Get in my life. Go out on the track. You know, go on the track. <laughs> Which is, I try to approach like a magazine area, but that, that thing's like a race car. Fantastic cars, you know. But you know, the, the Gen Six car, I, uh, you know, they're, they're super fast. So they're a pinnacle. So can't comment about you know what's coming next yeah. or what's not coming next. Yeah. No, I totally understand. What can you talk about, Mark, with <laughs> with GM for product portfolio that's coming? So obviously the E-Ray is out and in production. What about the regular passenger car segment of it? Good, a good friend of mine in Cincinnati, Mike, his neighbor just bought a uh, Blackwing. And he sent me some video of it, and it's nasty. I mean, it cars fast. Yeah, a CT5 V Blackwing is the best four-door luxury sedan GM has ever built. I mean, it is truly a phenomenal car. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, it'll go over 200 miles an hour. It'll run 11 and a quarter mile. You can pound around on open track days. Like, it's fully track hard. And I like it's, it's my favorite car. Like, if you know, it's like if, if I was just going to buy a car. You can drive it back and forth to dinner with your wife. It's super civilized, but then you can take it to an open track day, and it's just it's really fast. Have you tracked one of those cars? Oh yeah, assuming. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Well, I've driven them um, at, at GM. Every car that's track capable has to go through a twenty four hour endurance run. So uh, all of us top level drivers bolt in the car for a twenty for for a tank full of fuel. Wow. So you literally you strap into it. Fuel gauge is full. You run it as hard as it'll go for a tank full of fuel, and you bring it around. The technician's service, whatever, if it needs brake pads or tires or check the fuel level or whatever and the oil level, then we do it again. But wow. like 24 hours. Just hard as we'll go. And that and that was really derived from kind of like John Heinrich he said, a Corvette owner is going to go to X number of open track days in the life of the car. And we kind of came up with this 24-hour number mm. to make sure. It, so there's two things. There's track capable, lap time, then, then track durable. How durable is it? is we run 24 hours of endurance test and we do 200 quarter mile drag passes. 200? 200. So, wow. And, and uh, no, but so right now, I mean, our car portfolio at GM, like we have such a wide variety of things at GM is kind of like, do you need a Duramax diesel to tow something? We we have, those are really cool that we have electric bolts. So like the, the diversity of our portfolio right now at GM has never been greater. It's a crazy time to see everything that's being worked on. The Duramax diesel, Mark, you mentioned something that I think is interesting. So they've got the new, is it a three liter diesel that goes in like the Tahoe's? Yeah, oh yeah, I had one of those. Did you? Yeah. What'd you, what'd you think of that? Dude, uh, it got 27 miles per gallon, just running empty back and forth, 80 miles an hour to up northern, northern Michigan. Mm. And then I could tow my enclosed trailer, like no problem. The thing was like rock solid, uh, 24 foot enclosed with my Camaro in the back, set the cruise at 80. Which, if it's legal in that state, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it would just roll, you know, okay. and it worked. It worked great. I was like, the only reason I didn't buy another one was because when you pull into a gas pump, you're always kind of trying to find that diesel, yeah, that diesel pump. kind of fishing around. Yeah, but there, I had one for two years, loved it, towed, towed my stuff great. Awesome. And if you slow down to 60 miles an hour or 65, you could probably easily knock back 30 miles per gallon. No kidding. Yeah. And they, they, they drive, they're super quiet. They drive, the torque is like, 
addictive. Like, you know, you know, just like just right down low, just 10 speed transmission, just like it's always in the right gear. Roll right into it. Yeah, they, they work really well. So what, uh, aside from the build, so you've got your current build that's going on, you know, the patina, really yeah. cool older drag car. What do you want to build next? So I'm kind of so I, I bought another rust-free '69 Camaro out of California, and I'm I'm gathering how the you, parts. How do you find all these? Like, is there like a Stilo Classifieds? It's like every first gen Camaro people put on. You go, yeah, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I'll it's it's that one. one. You just kind of put the word out to the Squirrel Network, <laughs> and you know, eventually somebody will you know, hey, I stumbled across this or that. I mean, the car I have now, that old drag car, the Hobbs Camaro. I literally talked to a guy on Facebook. He reached out to me with a question bantered back and forth a little bit. And I mentioned to him like, Hey, I'm looking for a patina 69 Camaro. He said, well, I got one, but I'm never going to sell it. <laughs> and I said, well, if you ever decide to sell it, I'll buy it. So two years will go by. I get an IM on Facebook from this nice gentleman in Tennessee. And he's like, I finally want to sell it. We haggled back and forth on the price and I bought it. It just kind of fell in my lap. That one did. Yeah. And I hadn't really planned on buying it. And, uh, and it's got a great, the car's got a really cool story. So, but that's kind of how I usually find most of my stuff. Yeah. You're going to do another 69 Camaro? Yeah, so I got another 69 Camaro that I'm going to kind of take all the bits and pieces of the cars I liked that I thought worked really well and build a nice car I could take to open track days and cars I could. My wife and I have been doing these tours like Good Guys or Barrett Jackson cross-country tours. Oh, yeah. Like I saw you in Texas, that road yeah, tour deal they yeah. did. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun. So I'm building a car to kind of be kind of in that genre of, a, of another car. Drive it, enjoy it, and yeah. just keep going. That's yeah. awesome. So my days of trying to win these Optima shootouts with these crazy cars, like, you know, those cars have kind of turned more into track day cars and not really so much of a, a blend. And I just want to have kind of a blend car I'm not trying to win Optima with. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool in our industry to see, like, look at Optima and how much that's grown and evolved. And now you have drive autocross. And then you throw good guys into the mix. If you're a car person today, there's like so many ways to enjoy your car and go out and, and run it. I mean, track days. And you and I were talking about some of the private, some oh, of these uh, private driving clubs that are coming up. Yeah. So I, we first started doing uh, track development work at GM back in 2003 and four. Renting a track was like super easy. You, you could always find track time. And now like you try to book a, a VIR or a Gingerman or whatever, they're packed. Like yeah. there's like Porsche club, there's Mustang club, there's a Viper club. Everybody's got, you know, there's a, tons of places now you can take your car and they have inter, you know, beginner group, novice group, advanced group. You know, if you haven't done an open track a day, go out, get involved with that kind of stuff. And there's a lot, whatever genre you're into, the Subaru club, everybody's got like a, a deal. With your, uh, your day job, so drag racing does fall underneath yep. your yep. realm. What do you think about the, um, the new class in NHRA? That is essentially like a pro stock chassis, except with a factory stock engine. Yeah, so those are coming out this this summer. Uh, is it this summer? The third. Yeah, it is this year. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's going to be a good class. I mean, I think it's everybody's kind of come upon the same recipe for pro stock to to a degree. Yeah. And uh, so I think this will kind of freshen that up and give an opportunity to bring different powertrains into that into a, a competitive something that looks a little more. You know, door slammer kind of car. So yeah. I think those are it still uses a little bit more. I don't want to say relevant powertrains, but production based yeah. stuff. Yeah. To where you know, back to your point earlier about technology transfer, probably going to learn some things from the guys that are going to be running that class. Yes. Yeah. Racers are racers. They're going to push it as hard as they can. They're probably going to blow up some stuff yeah. and learn some stuff along the way. Yeah, that's going to be a good. That's going to be a good class. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And. You know, we've, you know, we've, we've built a lot of Copo Camaros. You know, we did the fifth gens and the sixth gens. So those cars are still, 
neat legacy we're leaving behind. So. What about ProMod? Does, does Chevrolet have any interest in ProMod, or is it more that very fringe thing that you look at? Yeah, it's, it's uh, at an arm's length. I think we still help supply some of the bodies, but, you know, those things are they're all unicorns. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Mark, what's what's next for you and what's next for the car? So you got to get the current build finished. Yeah, so I've kind of uh, started just buying cars because when I find a good deal on them, I try to find just buy them because they're getting harder and harder to find. So yeah. I got the 269 Camaros. I got an 88 Blazer that I built. My wife and I have been doing these tours in. And yeah, that's I, a really cool build. Yeah. Is that an LT-based engine? So the first one I did, I did a 78 Blazer with an LT in it. And that car was great, but it was two-wheel drive, and my wife said she didn't like it because it didn't look trucky enough. Ah, so I, so this one's four-wheel drive, so it's more Chuck Norris. Nice. And uh, so I, that this one, I, I put a uh, PFI motor in just because the integration is a lot easier. It's just an LS3, and the car truck runs great. We yeah. put 3,800 miles on it in a week, so uh, you know, no problems. Awesome. Great driver. Yeah. Huh? So if you were going to do another powertrain, like with your new build, I'm assuming you're doing PFI in that rather than DI. Direct injection. Yeah, the Hobbs Camaros PFI, and uh, but then the next one is going to be DI. Okay. Uh, you know, we got we figured out some of the cal issues on uh, some of the sail on stuff and some of the things I didn't like about torque based uh, engine management okay. systems. So all, a lot of the DI stuff is uh, torque based. So when you push the pedal down, you're out, you're commanding torque. Yeah. You're not commanding pedal. Uh, but no. What, what engine are you doing in the Hobbs Camaro? Uh, LS7, but I want to make it look like a faker big block. Uh oh, uh, so cool. you know, so when you open the hood, it's, I'm going to do the the oh, uh, classic uh, yeah. valve covers and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. What are you going to do for an intake? You going to do like the three two kind of setup? Or no, just do... a single four barrel. Okay, the Holly one to a, an adapter with a cowl induction air cleaner stuff oh, on it. Neat. Yeah. So when you pop the hood, because it's a factory three three ninety six car, I wanted it to look like a three ninety six under the hood, but. I can't stand big bucks because they leak oil and they're <laughs> no offense to big black fans out there, but I mean, yeah. all the LS stuff. Once I got LS, like they're just great. They don't leak any oil. They, yeah. They make a lot of power. Super durable. Super durable. Parts so, are reasonable. It's hard, it's hard really not to like an LS. Old school big blocks are cool, but yeah. you know, they all have their place for different things. Yeah. So your old one though, the, uh, the all aluminum one that you had in Red Witch, that was that was a killer piece. Yeah, for nineteen ninety six, that was a that was a pretty you know with the six speed, that was a, a pretty pretty steamy piece. Yeah. So. Well, Mark, any closing thoughts for anybody? Anything for aspiring hot riders you want to let them know? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's always been like I get an idea in my head or a dream or a goal, and that drives the decisions on what I want to make for my project. So, like most of my projects have been like. I want to use this vehicle for this reason. And as you're building it, decisions become much easier because do I need that diff cooler? Well, yeah, because I'm going to do all these open track days. Do I need this really killer radiator? Yeah, because I want to go do open track days or whatever you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of like have a vision of what your project, what you want it to be when you're done. Yeah. And then the journey becomes easier and more fulfilling. Like, hey, I want to take my wife on Hot Rod Power Tour. Build a car that's comfortable and put air conditioning in if you're going to take your wife. It'll be a much more pleasant experience. Happy wife. <laughs> happy, happy life. life. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about that. We all know that. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your time. Thanks, so. Al. It's always you. good seeing yeah. you. Go out and enjoy your cars, your hobby, and we will see you all soon. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.